0: This is Melissa Hales-Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, and I have on the line for the podcast today from California, James Mead. And I just have to tell you, we met in kind of an odd way. It was the middle of a Wednesday night when Marcello and I were up late putting together the paper, the wee hours of the morning, and I got this email from someone I didn't know about a new book he had written called what is it called? Dynamics DNA. Dynamic DNA. Activating your inner energy for better health. And I shot back an email and unbelievably, it came back to me (laughs) in the wee hours. And Jim was on the other side of the world and he was going to do a podcast when he came home, but he ended up going to yet another country. So I'm glad we finally caught up. And I just love to Start by asking you um, how it is you came to your current profession with your wife of teaching transcendental meditation.
1: Aha, uh-huh. okay, good story. Um, it started 50 years ago, and uh, Nina and I were both students in Chicago, and uh, she was at the University of Chicago because she followed me out there and I was at Northwestern, and basically we were um, just t- trying things out, as you do at that age, and uh, one of the things that we tried out was was Transcendental Meditation. And then uh, uh, two years later, we found that we were on teacher training as uh, with Transcendental Meditation, and it was shortly after the Beatles era Mike Love of the Beach Boys was on our teacher training course, and we got to be with Maharshi personally. He was quite a well-known international figure. And um, we just loved the Transcendental Meditation and and, uh, became teachers. And um, a lot of ins and outs. Nina also taught school. I also had a career as a writer. And we, in 2005, uh, decided to be full-time teaching TM came out to California set up shop and uh, there's a lot of interest people out in California especially very open to the ideas of learning TM and to a lot of other things that seem a, a little bit out the fridge <laughs> everywhere else
0: Yeah, well, California has always been known for that, and I guess Transcendental Meditation, you were right in the era when it was first blossoming in this country, so you've just followed it to its current state. Um, Just to back up a little, I don't know, our readers might have noticed two letters from you recently. One was a a really kind of sweet tribute um, to the late Carol Romer, my Girl Next Door, and the other was kind of capturing the many celebrities that you've met in your career. And I loved the line in that letter. Um, you were talking to uh, someone checking your passport who said, there's always work for writers and cleaning women. So if you could just <laughs> tell us, I looked up and you have a huge long list of books, if you can just kind of take a quick look over your career as an author and tell us, um, you know, some of the books that you've written because it's such a wide variety.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I once did an interview um, with a... I was living in Fairfield, Iowa, and they did an interview there. And um, it was a, a series where they basically gushed over writers, you know. And they were surprised because... Although I'm a writer, my whole uniting theme was how do I get paid for this piece? And so it wasn't inspiration so much as how do I get paid? And I just found myself um, early in my career, I was submitting novels and I found myself getting rejection letters and I took a job uh, writing computer documentation And uh, I just had to learn computers on the fly, and then I began writing about computers, and basically it became that I would write whatever somebody would pay me to write. And then, you know, getting published is quite a trick. A lot of people now Mm self-publish, but at that time, it was, uh, which never appealed to me, and still doesn't. And um, so I found that to get published... The real secret wasn't to um, write something great, and they would love it, and they would publish it. The real secret was to find something that they already wanted done. They had a contract sitting there, and then proposed to them that I write it. So my first book, uh, instead of being a Hemingway-style novel, was actually a um, a book about computer graphics before powerpoint you know just the very first computer mm-hmm. graphics
0: and, and then uh, you then did the whole series of dummies books right
1: <laughs> so- yeah no and that was a, that was another um fascinating situation where the um the computer industry it's like they never took an english course you know mm-hmm. so they were it was they were publishing Documentation that nobody would ever read—that was just understood. You know, when an engineer wanted to work on a new product, one thing he would not turn to was the documentation. So I was proposing to them make it readable, maybe make it even funny. And um, so eventually, when that actually reached the industry and some of the publishers, as they began to write computer books that were a little bit they aren't very funny really the dummies books then um, uh, that whole door opened up it was a huge tidal wave all of a sudden the dummies book super popular and I was about dummies book number 8
0: well so Maybe, well, do you? with all the books that you've written do you have one that's a favorite of yours one that stands out as something that you look back on and feel like that was that was me at my best. <laughs> that was the most useful thing that I wrote.
1: Probably right now, if it's not this current one, dynamic DNA, which I I think its time may come, but uh, one called the answer to cancer, and
0: uh, oh, the answer to cancer. Tell us about that.
1: Okay, so um, Dr. Hari Sharma called me, and he's the one who um, he was looking for a writer to write on that subject and he, um, and he had actually indirectly from Maharshi Mahesh Yogi been told to get a book on cancer. And Hari Sharma is a, uh, cancer expert at Ohio State. So, um, he asked me if I would write the book and I said, no. <laughs> and, um, it was just, uh, I knew there was no money in it. And I told you money is my organizing principle. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I just was was uh, and also there's a certain style that um, predictable that would go with that particular format and and I wasn't planning to write in that style. I like to even if I'm you know the same with the dummies books. Even if I'm just writing some formula book, I like to put personality into it and humor and like that. So um, I said. No, he came back to me and I said no two or three times. And finally just the writing was on the bo- wall. This book needed to be done. And um it was very successful. You know, it uh
0: um So what is the gist of it? As someone who has survived cancer, I would love to know what the answer is. What what was the heart of the book? What
1: um Okay, so um it's all kinds of Ayurvedic, you know, so these techniques associated with India, Ayurvedic techniques, basically pre- for prevention. But it's it's not just sort of your everyday, you know, don't eat a hamburger or, or your everyday even, what, be vegetarian like that. It's really uh, specific techniques. For instance, there's so many herbs that you could talk about. But the two physicians, really, that I worked with, they said turmeric is so much more powerful. It truly is an anti-tumor device and you have to know how to use it so you have to saute it you don't just sprinkle it on you don't take it the way your doctor gives it to you western doctor uh, several capsules a day you just use it in the right way and um, and then it was like eight or ten different things specific things um, that in a quite a subtle way are targeted on making your body resistant to cancer and making it strong you know one person who read the book said you could really go through and substitute heart disease for cancer and have the book be the same book. And you could.
0: Interesting. And I did look up, um, Dr. Charm. He was the director of the Division of Cancer Prevention and Natural Products Research, um, at the College of Medicine at Ohio State University. So you had the language expertise, but he had the scientific expertise as you wrote this together. Exactly.
1: And then, um, he and I both have this transcendental meditation expertise because transcendental meditation is an anti-cancer technique, and um, it involves taking the mind inside to the, our deeper and deeper levels in the deepest level, and when we do that, it's very strengthening. There's a, some recent research uh, showing that it actually um, can influence the, de- the expression of DNA so it's a very powerful inward experience, and it strengthens our um, our system. It fights uh, free radicals and and uh, is an anti-cancer technique, and that is an area where I am an expert.
0: And that's something I'd like to ask you more about. I. Am not well informed in this field. The one time earlier, about a year ago, I had been writing on a, a lecture by a woman named Sharon Morgan, who is a descendant of slaves, and she travels the country with Thomas DeWolf, who is a descendant of slave owners, and they reference the BBC film "The Ghost in Your Jeans which um, I then looked up <laughs> because it's the it documents the work of British scientists who believe that your genes are shaped in part by your ancestors' life experiences. And um, I know it's a controversial field, but it certainly seemed interesting, the research that they had documented. It was based in Sweden, and um, they looked at um, people who had, the descendants of people who had suffered from a famine. And so this, the, the two that had written the book and were traveling locally and I talked to were assuming that the same kinds of changes in DNA could have taken place because of slavery. And I just don't know enough about it, but if you could kind of fill us in, having written a book on the subject, um, about the basics of how, how that would work, um, that would be interesting.
1: Uh, so um I, I couldn't quite hear all of that, so I'm just trying to get you is? to
0: explain the basis of epigenetics, which
1: oh, uh, you know, okay. how, how
0: it is that um some scientists now believe that your genes are not like just the Crick and Watson model, where you know it's passed on from generation to generation unchanged.
1: Ah, uh, beautiful, okay. Yes, and so, well, the new discovery is, you know, that is true. The old model is that the actual um, DNA doesn't change. But what completely changes the whole ball game is one word, expression. The expression of the gene can change. So that um, maybe you're born with a predisposition towards a particular disease, and uh, that doesn't mean you're going to get it because um, you can change the expression of that gene so that really, as far as it performs, um, you're healthy and you don't get that. And it involves things like diet and and, uh, healthy lifestyle and also specific recommendations for uh, eliminating stress and like that. But the uh, epigenetics means on top of and basically... The genes uh, can express even perfectly. You can be born with a set of a genetic makeup like everybody is that's both good and bad and then just go in and work on the ones that are bad until as far as they're expressed, as far as their behavior, you're good.
0: Yeah, well, one of the things, you had sent me a list of kind of topics that you're interested in, and you had listed family curses, and um yeah. I know from my own cancer experience, I was at Memorial Sloan Kettering, and part of a experiment, they were interested in looking at mutated genes, and they found that one of my genes had mutated. So that I can understand, but this idea that you had mentioned in this email had to do with beyond... Like a mutation in a gene, you said some things outside of the body, like accidents. How how would that how would that be <laughs> something <laughs> that great, could be? Go ahead.
1: That's a great question, Melissa, and, and it's very fascinating because we all observe these things, um, you know. And and uh, my family has um, a history of anxiety. It has a history of heart disease, and um, but also certain kinds of behaviors, that um, you know, my father was quite the ladies' man, and some of that it doesn't have to necessarily to do with anything in your genes, but he uh, was um, was quite active in the romance front, and um, so, uh, or you look at something like the Kennedys, who are kind of noted for. They have tragedy strike, but they're different ones. Some of them seem physical, and others, you know, a skiing accident or a plane crash. What's going on? So the broader thing is that DNA tracks not just the physical things that we readily identify. It actually tracks everything. It actually records every behavior and um and and uh every thought everything is being recorded and that makes the dna the dna is not what we ordinarily think of as some chemical in the body but it is a chemical in the body but it resides right at that junction point of pure consciousness the unbounded it's super powerful and so therefore It can track a whole lot more than just diseases. Uh, It it tracks behaviors and then those behaviors can and do be um, shared within a family and passed on within a family and they can also be corrected within a family just because a family has a history of um, these kinds of uh, tragedies. Well, with With certain um, right behavior, meditation is one of them. Actually, the healthy things that we think of, right diet and like that, you can be the one in that family that that doesn't happen.
0: That breaks the pattern. Well, you mentioned in your own family your father being someone who was a womanizer, it sounded like. so. Well,
1: yeah, let me just give you a quick one because this is recent, which is that... um, what about a year ago, um, my sister Vicki did that 23andMe thing and, um, and found another sister. And so this sister um, we've now connected with, she's a half-sister. She was born one month after my father died, so he was involved with that woman. There was also, um, <laughs> this is sort of soap opera stuff, but when he died um there was another woman different woman who uh was so in love with him that she was she tried to jump into the casket with him she had to be restrained so these were um instances pretty hard to deny that they existed meanwhile he was still married to my mom who had loved him very much <laughs>
0: so, oh my goodness
1: yeah but my no, question I not. guess
0: centered on was you know that kind of behavior could be not DNA-related, but just something that came from patterns you observe in a family, you know, that get repeated because they're part of your culture, or, or no? Well, that would be a
1: good way to look at it, and that's also true. But the the thing is, DNA records everything. It records those psychological things, so it doesn't just record... Um, the physical things, it records everything, psychological levels, um, emotion, everything. It's well, just,
0: uh, it would yeah. be good, too, if you could comment on how a lot of this um, terminology and philosophy comes from Eastern religions um, and how that fits in with the practices that you use you know, like karma uh-huh. and, you know, things that maybe people associate more with doing yoga than than with the sorts of, um, just how, how you came to adopt those practices in your own work and how they're useful and fit in, I guess is the question.
1: Great. Yeah. No, it's nice to get your perspective on it because I kind of forget that they've been such everyday things for me for a long time, but um they're um vedic v-e-d-i-c so they they come from vedic and vedic means knowledge they're not um c- certainly for me they're not associated with any religion you know i'm from gilderland i was i went uh, joined the presbyterian church there i have a christian background and was that the um, hamilton
0: union presbyterian church
1: is it the what?
0: The Hamilton Union Presbyterian Church? I oh, you said the yes, Church of the word. Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, or or maybe it was McCowanville, maybe. Okay. Uh, McCowanville Presbyterian. So yeah, and uh you know, so to me they are more scientific terms. You know, Vedic means knowledge and but it's a uh, has a lot to do not with just not initially with uh physical experience as much as also the spiritual side, the abstract, and then it gets expressed in the physical and it gets tested in the physical. Much of what I've looked at has been tested with Western science also, but um, it's just a term for knowledge. and uh, It's not based on faith. It wouldn't work very well uh, for me or in general if any of this was faith. You know, if you have faith that you know, you become stronger if you believe you don't have cancer. No, it's not like that. It's, um, you know, if you um, have mix some turmeric with your food, if you follow the regular routines of the day instead of working all night, um, you know, if you behave well, uh, that actually influences neuropeptides in your body. But these are recommendations um, f- that, that are for um, good health, and they actually are based in knowledge, not really in uh, um, what we usually think of as religious practices or praying for a good outcome. No.
0: Okay, that's a good delineation, but it's still interesting to me that they come from other cultures, in other parts of the world, and there you are traveling in other parts of the world. How is it yeah. that you, where have you been recently and what has brought you? I know from you, you emailed at one part and said, well, I won't be home for the podcast now because I'm going to Myanmar. And I just thought, about oh, okay. But how do you make those, travel connections and where is it you end up going and why
1: yeah it's interesting because yesterday i was signing up or like a few days ago i was uh signing up with a physician and, and uh, they asked me um well have you been overseas recently and so i said i didn't realize it would sound so strange to them i said well i was in china and then i was in thailand and then i was in myanmar and I went back to uh, Thailand, and I was in Japan. <laughs> and, and they were like, boy, I want to be your friend. <laughs>
0: right. so, but so how is just, it that you come to those places? What connections bring you there?
1: So um, we also, that's the TM, Transcendental Meditation Tech uh, Connection. Uh, Nina, my wife, uh, teaches at a university in Thailand that has a... Uh, a basis in Transcendental Meditation. When we went to uh, Myanmar, um, it was because there was a school there that was very interested in bringing Transcendental Meditation to its school population. And uh, so we went there to set that up. And, um, you know, so that's the connection. I've actually lectured all over uh, in Asia uh, But not just Asia. We spent three or four months in Jamaica, um, starting a school project, uh, teaching TM in a school. We have many stories about the turnaround that uh, happens when these students... It was a very, very rough school in Jamaica, Mm -hmm. and even with just preliminary teaching of TM, they became much more attentive in class.
0: Well, that might be a good place to end this podcast, to hear from you, because our time is rapidly running out. Just if you could put in a nutshell, which may be hard, what exactly is Transcendental Meditation? I mean, I think a lot of us think of it as people just repeating words <laughs> quietly for a number of minutes every day. But if you could kind of give us the philosophy of it and how, for instance, in this Jamaican school, it transformed people. Just how does it work? What yeah. What is it?
1: Thank you. I'm glad you asked me that. So um, I lecture on this every day, but I put up a chart, and it says it's simple, natural, effortless, mental procedure, practiced twice a day for 20 minutes. And the thing is, when we practice Transcendental Meditation, the mind goes from our surface everyday thinking level to deeper levels. And I explained, deeper levels are like... Um, Instead of being on the surface structural level of a piece of wood, you're on the molecular level. And then there's a deeper level, the atomic and subatomic level. These are real. The energy is different. And when we take the awareness to those, there's more energy, more orderliness, and more power. So what we do when we transcend in Transcendental Meditation, the mind goes from the surface, and it actually effortlessly goes to these deeper levels, and the deeper levels have um, very much strengthening influence, more orderliness, uh, clearer thinking, and uh, actually better health. So that's what we gain by taking the mind within, and it's so powerful that we really have to make sure that people only do it twice a day for 20 minutes.
0: Well, uh, what would, what would happen if you did it more? What what would the power help?
1: <laughs> well, it's a little hard to predict. Yeah. You know, it's like Xanax is a popular antidepressant. You know, what if you take more? Well, different things can happen. So the TM, it gets the body's own pharmacy working more powerfully. Sometimes people, uh, if they don't follow our training instructions, and Maybe one guy just said, well, so, like, I was spaced out a little bit. I forgot what I was doing when I was shaving. Yeah, that mm-hmm. can happen. One guy found himself being very emotional thinking about his mother and his sister. And we were like, I'm sure you love your mother and your sister, but if you just do 20 minutes twice a day, you'll kind of have a more balanced thinking towards them.
0: And do you, you yourself do this? the 20 minutes twice do a I day? Do
1: I do the transcendental meditation?
0: Yeah. every day? It's part of what you do every yes. day? Oh, wow. Yes, yes. So
1: yes, every day. Um, and, uh, every day since I learned in 1970, so.
0: And this was when you were in college, you said, was it?
1: Uh, yeah, I was just yeah. finishing graduate school, finishing my PhD, and, uh,
0: and that was and, in English at Northwestern. Are you ever going to go back and write that novel that you first started out with, or you've moved on <laughs> and are happy in where your life is?
1: um you know there were about three novels, and probably yeah. if, when I write a novel, it'll be different from that, but I think you're right i should uh you know you should definitely write a novel i I love writing um in in a very what engaging style, and I love to put in stories, but a lot of times I get uh, attracted to non-fiction topics so that uh, people can know, like with this dynamic DNA, so I put in a lot of stories in there, but um, I, I like it that it's actually talking about something um, that people know is real and, and that can be measured and tested scientifically.
0: Well, great. And I thank you for your time and your expertise and your letters to the editor. And with that, we're over and out.